Thank you for watching this online message from Riverstone Church. We hope that this content encourages you and helps you further develop your relationship with Jesus Christ. For more information, visit riverstonechurch.net. There you can learn more about us, view additional messages, submit your prayer needs, and even give online. Thank you for watching, and may the Lord richly bless you. I'm grateful for the gifts that are in operation in this fellowship, and you're part of that. And so we're thankful for the work of the Lord Jesus Christ, and actually that moves very nicely into the message this morning, the Apostle Paul talking about unity, uh, unity among a diversity of people, diversity of gifts, that we stand together in unity and one accord. We have to praise God that not everyone preaches or teaches like me, or like Brother Jay, or like Brother Noel, or Sister Autumn. There's people who have a diversity of gifts, and when we come together as a fellowship, we ought to celebrate the diversity of gifts that are working in our body. We ought to thank God for his work among us and his work through his people, that he's using everyone for his glory, building a house for his glory, building a fellowship and a church for his glory. We ought to rejoice in that, and I rejoice in that. I rejoice in what the Lord Jesus Christ is doing. I'm going to ask you to read with me Ephesians chapter 3, verses 1 uh, through 13 this morning as we look to the word of the Lord. Ephesians chapter 3, verses 1 through 13. The word of the Lord says to us, when you're there, just stand with me, please. Thank you so much. We'll just stand in honor of the reading of the word of the Lord. Ephesians chapter 3, verse 1. For this reason I, Paul, the prisoner of Christ Jesus, for the sake of you Gentiles, if indeed you have heard of the stewardship of God's grace which was given to me for you, that by revelation there was made known to me the mystery, as I wrote before in brief. By referring to this, when you read, you can understand my insight into the mystery of Christ, which in other generations was not made known to the sons of men as it has now been revealed in his holy apostles and prophets in the spirit. To be specific that the Gentiles are fellow heirs and fellow members of the body and fellow partakers of the promise in Christ Jesus through the gospel, of which I was made a minister according to the gift of God's grace which was given to me. According to the working of his spirit, according to the working of his power, to me, the very least of all saints, this grace was given to preach to the Gentiles the unfathomable riches of Christ and to bring to light that which is the administration of the mystery which for ages has been hidden in God who created all things so that the manifold wisdom of God might now be made known through the church to the rulers and the authorities in the heavenly places. This was in accordance with the eternal purpose which he carried out in Christ Jesus our Lord, in whom we have boldness and confident access through faith in him. Therefore, I ask you not to lose heart at my tribulations on your behalf, for they are your glory. Heavenly Father, we thank you again uh, for the public reading of Scripture. We thank you for the blessing of being in a place where we all stand without fear of our lives, Lord God. 
as our brother Jay even mentioned a little earlier, some of those in other places and in other countries who aren't able to be as open about their faith as we are. Lord Jesus, we're thankful that we're in a place, Lord, where we're able to boldly proclaim the gospel in the streets, Lord, at the corner, Lord God, down at the university, God. And I pray, Lord, that we would not take that for granted because our brothers and sisters in other countries long to have those opportunities and continue to work and labor even at the threat of their life. If I were to take this afternoon and I were to stand on a box down at the corner and begin preaching the gospel all afternoon, I have no fear that the government or some other entity is going to come and take my life from me. I can preach the gospel as boldly, as long, as often as I would like to. And I have freedom to do so. God, help me to not take this opportunity or us to take this opportunity this morning for granted. But God, we're thankful that while it is day, we will be faithful and work. And so God, we ask you to guide us in your word this morning. Lord, I know in these 13 verses of the book of Ephesians chapter 3, that there are probably thousands of sermons that could be preached. God, you've led us to examine a few parts of this passage this morning that I believe you would speak to us as a body. And so, God, I pray you'd give us ears to hear and understand what the Spirit would say. God, I pray that you would help me, Lord, to hide behind the cross, to move by the power of the Spirit, Speak only what you would have said, Lord Jesus, this morning. So we thank you for it, God. We thank you for your grace and mercy in this time. In your precious name we pray. Amen. And you may be seated. So in the preceding chapters and verses uh, of the book of Ephesians, the Apostle Paul has uh, explained the great power of God at work to reconcile both Jew and Gentile into his church, essentially to reconcile different people into God's family, to bring together people from different backgrounds, different understandings, uh, different ways of doing things, to bring people together into his church for God's own glory. And in chapter 2, Paul has encouraged the Gentiles to remember where they came from, how God had delivered them from the bondage of the past. And that's a reminder to us as well to remember where we came from, not each and every little individual sin that bears us down, but to remember that indeed we do have a past that has been forgiven by the Lord Jesus Christ, and out of that we give praise and honor to God for the things which he has done. In chapter 3, the Apostle Paul begins to reflect on the grace which God uh, has shown with a prayer, and it is uh, interesting to the Apostle Paul because often he does this. He begins a thought and then he kind of digresses because the thought that he begins just sort of overpowers him with thinking about God and his grace and of his mercy. And so when you look at the beginning of uh, chapter 3, the version of Scripture that I use, yours may word it just a little differently. 
but it begins in, in verse 1 of chapter 3. For this reason, I, Paul, the prisoner of Christ Jesus, for the sake of you Gentiles. He begins this beginning prayer, but as he begins and he begins to reflect a little on what God has done, he kind of inserts a, what, what we would call a digression, but it's really not that. It's just, it's just kind of a more explanation of fullness of an overflow that is in the Apostle Paul, and he actually doesn't get back to the prayer until verse 14 when he picks it up back where he started. For this reason, I bow my knees before the Father in verse 14. So he's, he starts out, I want to pray for you, but as he's thinking of the greatness of God, as he's beginning to start that prayer, he can't help but begin writing about the goodness and favor and majesty and glory and grace that God has shown. And so he writes this long sentence about the grace of God before he's even able to get into the prayer for the Ephesian church. And it's a really beautiful thing. And it tells you how someone who has suffered so much for the cause of the gospel is still so fervent in their faith toward the Lord Jesus Christ. Paul speaks of himself in the beginning of chapter 3 as a prisoner of the Lord, and he was literally in prison. But he saw his physical station in life, where he was in the natural realm, as indicative of what was going on in the spiritual realm, not in bondage to sin anymore, not in bondage to darkness, not in bondage to the former ways, but he saw himself as a prisoner of the Lord. God is directing his path. God is directing his destiny. God is in charge, and he doesn't have to worry about tomorrow. He doesn't have to worry even about his own life because the Lord Jesus Christ is in control of his destiny. He is a prisoner of the Lord. Now, I'd ask you this morning, do you have that same hope? Do you have that same understanding of your life that God is in control of your destiny? That no matter what you're facing in the natural realm, no matter what you're looking at that's staring you down, no matter what you see when you look in the mirror, that the Lord Jesus Christ, if you are in him, is in control of your destiny. He's directing you for his glory. He's directing you for his purpose. He's directing you for his plan. A prisoner of the Lord. The Apostle Paul rejoiced in this understanding. In verse 2, he says, If you have indeed heard of this stewardship of God's grace. I want us to think about that here for a few moments. Being stewards of the grace of God. Now, a steward is someone who has been entrusted with the care of something. And the reference here in Paul's language is to the stewardship of a house. Someone who does not own the house, but has the responsibility to care for it, as if he or she would own the house. So a steward, a steward is someone who is taking care of something for someone else. If you and I were the stewards of a particular house, we would be responsible for its effective management. Not to manage it as you and I would see fit, but to manage it as the owner would see fit. To think about what is the owner's wishes? What is the owner's plan? 
What is the owner's purpose? How does the owner want the house taken care of? How does the owner want the gardens taken care of? How does the owner want the livestock taken care of? A steward is not one who owns, but one who cares for as if they did with responsibility to the one who does own. The Apostle Paul says he is a steward of the grace of God. Grace is God's unmerited favor. One of the easiest definitions of grace that I've heard was in a, a sermon that I didn't preach. And it's an acronym, and it simply says God's riches at Christ's expense. God's riches at Christ's expense. Grace. God bestows the riches of salvation upon us. It is fully paid at Christ's expense, and you and I have done nothing to earn it. And Paul says that he is a steward of the grace of God. And being a steward of the grace of God means that this is not a static position. If we were the steward of a household, there would be expectation that as the household was put under your care, as the household was put under your charge, that you're not sitting back in your room just sipping on whatever and eating bonbons. In fact, the steward was to be active, engaged in making sure the house was managed well and properly. It was not a static position where someone just kind of sits and enjoys all the benefit. It was actually a very active role, an active position. So being a steward, Paul says, of the grace of God. I'm a steward, he says, of God's grace to share with you these riches of Christ. In fact, that's the very reason that he's imprisoned. Because of his intent of sharing the gospel, his intent of discipling the churches, his intent of planting churches in places where the gospel had not yet been preached. He was being a good steward of what God had entrusted to him. And because God had entrusted it to him, he wanted to help others receive that as well. See, we can't think about God's grace as simply holding on to it for ourselves as if there is an exhaustible supply. God's grace is inexhaustible. You can freely give it away and there's more for you to enjoy. You can share with others about what God has done. You can talk about the grace of God in your life. You can share your testimony of the goodness of God at work in you. The revelation of this grace of God was not to be held in secret. It was to be shared and ministered and stewarded in an active way. Paul says that the stewardship of God's grace was given to me for you. The grace of God was meant to be measured out for the benefit of others. Active, thinking about. How can I share this message of hope? How can I bring others along? Who are those who are younger coming up before me that I can impart some spiritual gift to, something to help them understand that when they run along their journey, they have something to grasp a hold of, ministering the grace of God. 
we ought to think, you and I together, it's not simply a pastor's responsibility or a minister's responsibility to think about the next generation, to think about the next generation of the church, to think about where the church is going and the direction of the church. You and I all have an active responsibility in what God has called us to do here together. We have a responsibility. How are we thinking about God's plans for his church, God's direction for his church? What is our purpose in Charlottesville? How are we ministering the grace of God among those in our community that need to hear? Paul saw himself as active, an active steward on the grace of God. He was called to administrate the grace of God, he says to the Gentiles active in the work of the gospel to the benefit of others, even when it resulted in hardship for himself. <clears throat> Oftentimes when we think about our walk with the Lord, we think, God, remove this from me. God, help me get this. God, provide this for me and my family. When we ought to often be thinking about, God, how can I take the grace which you have given me, and how can I share that with someone else, even if it means a hardship on my part? Even if it means a job transition, even if it means a location transmission, even if it, or, or, or movement. God, I'm willing to sacrifice for you and for your kingdom in order to steward the grace that has been shown to me very well. Paul saw himself as a conduit and not a jug. Now think about it. If I were to take this straw, a conduit, I can blow through. I'm just taking the grace the grace that's going in one end is coming through the other side. Ministering it to other people. Knowing the days of COVID, that would be a little odd. You know, I get it. Uh, I get it. I'm not going to blow on you. But that's different than a balloon, isn't it? If I'm going to take a balloon, if I'm if I'm ministering the grace of God and I'm going to take a balloon, a balloon is just kind of the static representation, just sort of sitting there and filling up. And what happens with someone who just sits there and fills up? What happens with somebody who just sits there and fills up? What happens with somebody who just sits there and eats ice cream and fills up and isn't active. I've lived this life, I'll tell you. <laughs> this is what often happens in the church, is we have people on the pew who receive grace, receive grace, receive grace, receive grace, receive grace, receive grace, receive grace. And one of two things will happen when you're just sitting there not doing much at all for God's kingdom, not stewarding the grace of God's well. You're going to pop. And what that means is you're going to pop and just leave your existence in Christ. You're not going to care about it. You're going to be done with it because it doesn't mean anything to you. You've never stewarded the grace of God well. Or you're going to deflate because somebody hurt you. Somebody did something. But because you've made a habit of church or a habit of God's kingdom, you'll sit there deflated for the rest of your life.
You'll fill up and pop and go away, or you'll sit there deflated for your whole life. But if I realize that I'm a conduit of God's grace, some of you work in the construction industry. Why do we put plumbing in a house? We put plumbing in a house to be a conduit to get things from one place to another, whether it's water that's gone from a well to a faucet, whether it's other things that's gone from a bathroom to a septic, whatever's going on. We put conduit in a house to move things from one place to another. God has placed you as a conduit of his grace to minister his grace to other people, people in this room, people outside this room, people who you meet, and you need to think about every single day that I'm not a balloon just sitting around getting fat, asking God for my Cadillac, for my next mortgage payment, for this, for that, for the other, just soaking it up, Jesus. Won't you give me straight, Jesus? I'll minister to somebody else. Sometimes in the hardships of life, like when the apostle Paul was in prison, you have to get excited and say, God has made me a conduit to bless somebody else. I can tell you that in some of the most difficult seasons of my life, it was easy to sit down and just sulk about where I was. But if it wasn't for the grace of God to say there is a necessity to do something for someone else to receive the grace of God, I would have stayed right there. God has a plan for you to be a conduit of grace for someone else. God has a purpose for you to serve, to move his grace that he has poured into your life and see it flow on somebody else. Stewards of the grace of God. How are you ministering the grace of God? Ask yourself that question. How am I stewarding the grace of God? What is your kingdom work? Why are you breathing air right now? God in his sovereignty has placed you in this period of existence. And we can sit back and we can fuss about the politics and we can fuss about the state of the world and we can fuss about all the secular things and we can fuss about the prince of the power of the air who's doing damage in God's world, who's, who's going and who people are going to hell in a handbasket and everything else that we want to say. But we also ought to realize that God has placed you and I in this time season by his sovereignty. He chose that you would breathe in this moment to be a conduit of his grace to a world that doesn't know him. Yes, amen. I think that's something to get excited about, quite frankly, that in what we perceive throughout history could be one of the worst times around when the world seems like, what is happening? God has chose you to be his mighty army. God has chose you to be his people on the face of this earth to say this is the wonderful grace of God. God has chose you to speak on the street corner in Charlottesville to say you don't have to live in your iniquity and sin anymore. In fact, you can be free if we believe it. If we believe it. Do we believe it? 
Do we believe that there is truly a transformation when someone comes to know Jesus Christ? Do we believe that there is truly a transformation of the heart, a transformation of the mind, that there truly can be deliverance? It's interesting why God wants this to happen, according to the Apostle Paul. Paul was a steward of God's grace for the bringing of the, to the unity of the church. At this point, specifically Gentiles and Jews in the church, so that the wisdom of God, verse 10 says, might be known through the church to rules and authorities in heavenly places. Again, specifically verse 10. So that the manifold wisdom of God might now be made known through the church, you and I, not just here, but all those who believe in the Lord Jesus Christ, the church universal, to who? To the rulers and the authorities in the heavenly places. To the rulers and authorities in the heavenly places. And this points us back to the spiritual nature of the church. God has destined the church to display his wisdom in such a way that rulers and authorities in heavenly places observe what God has done and stand in awe. Part of God's eternal purpose for you and I is that you and I would be unified in such a way in the spiritual domain that those who are rulers and authorities would know the great wisdom of God. And you and I must first believe that there is a spiritual world that we do not see. We've heard of it. We have felt its presence. Yet few of us have seen it with our natural eyes. And yet, I believe that it's one of the challenges of the church today is that we don't believe in spiritual things anymore. We may give lip service to it, but we don't expect it. This is why a few weeks ago I began sharing. We have to expect things to be a little different. Those on the day of Pentecost didn't understand what was coming their way. I don't think we understand what's coming our way. I think there's going to be some things that will shake us up that will say, I didn't know things were going to happen that way. I didn't understand things were going to be that way. Yes, we'll be biblical. Yes, we'll follow the word of God. But we are going to experience some things that you and I haven't expected. Second Kings, if you'll turn there with me. Chapter 6. Starting at verse 8, Elisha was the prophet during this time. He said, now the king of Aram was warring against Israel, and he counseled with his servants, saying, in such and such a place shall be my camp. The man of God sent word to the king of Israel, saying, beware that you do not pass this place, for the Arameans are coming down here. The king of Israel sent to the place about which the man of God had told him, Thus he warned him, so that he guarded himself there more than once or twice. 
Now the heart of the king of Aram was enraged over this thing, and he called his servants and said to them, Will you tell me which of us is for the king of Israel? One of his servants said, No, my lord, O king, but Elisha, the prophet who is in Israel, tells the king of Israel the words that you speak in your bedroom. So he said, Go and see where he is that I may send and take him. And was told him, saying, Behold, he is in Dothan. He sent horses and chariots and a great army there, and they came by night and surrounded the city. We'll read just a little further in just a moment. What was happening, the king of Aram was trying to conquer the king of Israel, and he would be in secret planning what was going on. And in another place, God was speaking what was happening over there. In another place, God was speaking in the ear of Elisha the prophet. So a, 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 a spiritual activity was happening. And where a place where Elisha wasn't was, wasn't, wasn't at, he wasn't there with the king of Aram. He wasn't kind of peeking out of the closet, sort of listening. There wasn't a spy sort of in the midst that would go and tell Elisha. What, what the scripture is telling us is that this conversation that was taking place here, God was relaying what was in the heart of the king of Aram over to Elisha the prophet, and Elisha was telling the king of Israel so that the king of Israel could make appropriate uh, uh, move appropriately to not be in battle against the king of Aram. It's a, a, a spiritual activity that was happening in order to protect a people. Verse 15 <clears throat> So, the king of Aram hears about this, and to get a preacher, he sends an entire army. In verse 15, now when the attendant of the man of God had risen early and gone out, behold, an army with horses and chariots was circling the city. They were going to try to take the entire city to get to this one prophet. And Elisha's servant said to him, Alas, my master, what shall we do? So he answered, Do not fear, for those who are with us are more than those who are with them. Then Elisha prayed and said, O Lord, I pray, open his eyes that he may see. And the Lord opened the servant's eyes, and he saw, and behold, the mountain was full of horses and chariots of fire all around Elisha. The servant's spiritual eyes had to be open to what was going on in the spiritual realm that was going to affect what was happening in the natural realm. You can finish reading the story and see what happens later after church. There's a reason that God in his sovereignty has generally chosen to keep our eyes closed to the spiritual world around us, yet has called us by faith to believe in its existence. And I believe that if you are willing to press in, the spiritual world that exists will become as real to you as the one you see with your natural eye. 
That's what I want to speak to you this morning, particularly those of you who are younger, who are wondering, what's all this about? Is there really a God who works in my life? Is there really a God who breaks through, who can transform, who can change, who can heal, who can deliver? Is there really a God who can do these things? I want to say to you, press into him and let him open your spiritual eyes that you will see what is taking place in the spiritual world around you. There is a spiritual world that exists and part of the purpose of the church is to display the manifold wisdom of God to those that rule in the spiritual domain. And the wisdom of God is to be displayed in in the unity of God's church. The immediate context is between Jew and Gentile. Our context is between you and me and us together and us with other fellow believers around the world that are lifting up the name of Jesus as well. We have a responsibility to live in unity. So I want to caution you really closely right now. Be careful when your tongue speaks ill of another believer. Be careful when you begin speaking in secret because what you got to know is God hears. Be careful when you're throwing a dart. Be careful when you're speaking about someone else's spiritual walk. God desires unity because he wants his majesty and glory to be on display even in the spiritual realm. This is why the Apostle Paul in other passages says the love of God has been poured in our hearts. Has the love of God been poured in your heart for other believers, for other people who name the name of Jesus Christ? Yes, I believe there are charlatans. Yes, I believe there are people who say, I'm following the Lord and aren't following him at all. Yes, I believe that. But if you're living up in the spiritual realm, your spiritual radar will go off. You will know and you will discern by the grace of God who's legit and who's not. And you and I must be conscious about what our heart thinks, even sometimes when we're not brave enough to let our lips utter it. Out of the abundance of the heart, the mouth speaks. We have to be careful. We speak ill of one another. We have to be careful. When we start harboring in our heart, we have to be careful when we break God's unity because God has a plan for displaying the glory of his unity to even the spiritual realm of the the, the unity of the church and even the spiritual realm. Because we're stewards of God's grace and participating in God's eternal purpose of the church to display the manifold wisdom of God to the heavenly rulers and authorities, we can be assured that we have confident access through faith in Christ. In other words, God has already supplied everything that you and I need to be in unity with one another so that his glory will be displayed both to the visible and the invisible world. God has given you in Christ everything that you need in order to display the type of unity that he wants to show to the entire universe, spiritual and natural world. God wants you to be free to display his glory. He wants you to be delivered to display his glory. He wants you to be healed. He wants you to be whole. He wants you to be faithful. 
God wants your children to be saved. He wants your marriage to be restored. He wants your addiction to be conquered so that you more fully show the glory of God. There's not unity when a husband and wife are fussing. There's not unity in the church when someone is spiritually oppressed or in spiritual bondage. It doesn't bring unity. It doesn't bring unity when someone's caught up in addiction. It doesn't bring unity when someone is feeding the flesh and the scriptures say, live according to the spirit. So if we want unity in the church and we believe that that's what God's word is telling us and we believe that that's what Paul is writing to the Ephesians is unity, we ought to see some deliverances. We ought to see some demons cast out. Did we say that in 2022? Read the Gospels. Read the book of Acts. What was some of the primary ministry that the early church leaders were doing? Casting out demons, healing. We believe in the power of God. Continue to work. Scripture says, same yesterday, today, and forever. We believe in the power of God. If we believe there's a spiritual world, we also know that if there are angels in heaven who we, you know, got our little angel riding along with us on the interstate, make sure we're okay. If we believe in this little stuff, we also better believe that there's a demonic host that's after you. That's trying to trip you up. That's trying to pop you or deflate you. He doesn't care which one. He's trying to pop you or deflate you. God wants you to be free. He wants you to be whole. He wants you to know that despite being in a literal prison like the Apostle Paul, you can have joy within to know God has a plan for you. And I can tell you this morning, I don't care what bottom of the barrel that you're in right now. I don't care how low you feel. I don't care how difficult it's been for you. What I can tell you this morning is that the love of God can reach you where you are. The love of God can reach you in your situation. You know why? Because we can have testimony after testimony after testimony of people who have been at that bottom of the barrel. And I can tell you this morning that if you have been at the bottom of the barrel, there is therefore now no condemnation in Christ Jesus against you. If Jesus doesn't condemn you, we won't condemn you. If Jesus doesn't condemn you, we're not going to condemn you. But there is grace and peace and love and kindness for you this morning. God wants to deliver you because he wants you to display the unity of his church to the heavenly realm. Stand with me as we rejoice in God's goodness this morning. You need God's grace at work in your life. You have been struggling maybe for years with something. Maybe a self-image. You look in the mirror. And you don't like what you see. You've never liked what you see. You hate what you see. That is from the pit of hell. That is from the pit of hell. God wants to deliver you from that. Because God wants you to display the unity of his church to the heavenly realms. Maybe this morning you're here and you have been fighting it over and over and over again and you can't seem to get the victory. You can't seem to get the victory, but you've come to the altar a million times, come a million and one. He will not leave you. He will not forsake you. 
what the enemy wants you to do is to give up. Say, it's never going to happen. It's always going to be this way. He wants you to despair. That's what the enemy wants you to do. He wants you to despair. This is who I am. He wants to deflate you. I'll come to church. I'll sit in the pew. I'll put some money in the offering. I serve in the ministry. But God's not going to do anything for me. I'm not expecting God to do anything for me. Damn, he's taking you from being a conduit of God's grace to being somebody who's completely deflated that God touches everybody else but you. That's not God's plan. That's not God's plan. I can't promise you the journey's going to be easy. I love the Word of God. I love that God in His grace has given me a heart for the full gospel, the gifts present in the church today. I'm grateful for that. I do believe in instantaneous deliverances, but I oftentimes understand that sometimes it can be a hard walk. It can be a hard journey. Some of you still holding bitterness against somebody who wronged you this morning. The enemy is using that as a foothold in your life. You need to forgive. You need to forgive. Sometimes it's a hard journey. Sometimes we wonder why. Why did that happen? Why did that have to happen to me? Why did that have to happen to my family? And we can just sit right there and think and think and think. And the enemy says, I just want you deflated. Just think God won't use you. Just think God doesn't care. It's never going to change. It's always going to be the same. But I believe in the power of God that God is able to renew your resolve today. God is able to renew your perspective today to show you that he cares. And despite what you're going through, he wants you to be a blessing to others. Despite what you're going through, despite your challenge, despite where you see yourself in this world, God wants to use you to be a blessing to someone else a conduit of God's glory. We're going to pray. That's the only thing I know to do. That's the only place I know to go when I feel worn out, when I feel beat up, when I don't know which way to go. Prayer is the only place I know to go. And what I can assure you of this morning is that a brother or sister will meet you today. A brother or sister will meet you and help bear the burdens. That's why God has given us the church. Do you know what happens when you come and say, I'm struggling, and that brother or sister comes alongside of you and begins to pray in the spiritual realm for God to minister and God to move? They begin to speak, God, help my brother. God, help my sister. God, move in their life. God, I don't know all the situation. I don't know all the difficulty. But God, I'm in agreement that this brother or this sister needs your grace. You know what? The display of God. 
God's grace arises to the spiritual realm and the angels and the rulers and the principalities in the spiritual realm look in and see God's grace for his church because a brother and a sister stand together and they intercede on behalf of someone else. They say, I'm going to be a conduit. Paul said, I'm in prison. Now in Paul's prison, he didn't get three squares a day. He didn't get television. He didn't get a weight bench. He didn't get outside time. If he was going to eat, somebody had to bring it to him. He going to get water, somebody had to bring it to him. The floor was messy, not good bathrooms, no bathrooms, straw, whatever on the floor. That was his prison. And yet in that prison, he's saying, Ephesian church, I am a steward for you. God has called me. I'm a prisoner right here for Jesus. And God has called me to be a steward for you. Now, if a man in the first century can sit in a dark, dank prison cell and say, I'm going to be a conduit, you and I can say, we're going to be a conduit too. You need God's grace this morning. We're bringing unity to the church. You need deliverance. You need healing.